Wouldn't it be nice to know exactly what really matters in life? Let me try to paint just a little bit of a scenario. It would be your reflective moments just before you close your eyes permanently. Not everybody, and I'm not even trying to be morbid here, but not everybody has that chance to perhaps hours before they meet Jesus, that, that they look over their life. Their life flashes before them, and they ask this question, what did I do that mattered? Maybe at that time you've got large bank accounts. Maybe there's large houses and, and large possessions, and maybe you're really popular and powerful. But the question is, right at that moment, what is it that you've done that matters? Well, the Apostle Paul boldly shares what matters in life in our text this week. We started our Philippians study last week. A letter that was written by an incarcerated apostle. A letter that was filled with encouragement for the journey, one that we'll continue to read for the next few weeks. The apostle understood that ultimate joy didn't come from anything other than living, vibrant relationship with Jesus. So he wrote Philippians to teach, and to encourage this young church to rejoice always in spite of difficult life experiences. Wow. Even that statement probably should shake us up. Paul was writing to the church at Philippi, which had quite humble roots. We don't know a lot about it, but we do know, according to Acts 16, that there were a few people that did respond to the gospel. This all happened on Paul's second missionary trip. It started off with a very wealthy businesswoman named Lydia. Then we're not for sure, but, but we do think that Paul met a demon-possessed slave girl. And when she was, well, relieved of the enemy, she probably began hearing the gospel differently. And lastly, we know that the jailer and all of his family responded when Paul and Silas didn't run. It's quite an exciting tale, but, but this is 10 years later. 10 years after all this action, Paul is under house arrest, and he's waiting for his day in court. He's probably been there about four years and wondering if Caesar is ever going to invite him to hear his story. Well, Paul remembers this church. He has warm feelings for this Philippian church. And he shares his heart. And we're going to open up and look at three verses, but let's pray first. Father, we do recognize we need you. We want you. Yet our perception of you is sometimes blurred. 
We read from your word and we get confused or overwhelmed. Father, we would ask today that you would teach us. We would ask that your spirit would be so abundantly active that your words would change us, would inspire us, would convict us. We continually look at the news, hear about the news, read about the news, and know that our world's in a mess. And we ask you, dear God, that you would continue to work in spite of what the circumstances are. We pray especially for the war in Ukraine. And we think of those who are suffering and hurting in Yovalde. We know, God, that there's more going on. We know that every day there are different headlines. So we ask you, dear God, that we would be sensitive to your spirit. That we would respond and react the way you would want us to respond and react. That you would grow our faith so that we could trust you. And trust our family with you. We pray for the different churches in this area. We ask you, Father, that you would be especially this morning with connection and with fears and with new hope. We know that there are many other churches, and there are churches not only here in this state, in this country, but all over the world, meeting in all different environments. Oh, God, would you encourage your church today? Would you strengthen your church today? so that we might be salt and light wherever you send us. We pray, Father, for our church. And we ask for the same thing and ask that you would strengthen and encourage it, that you would grow it. We pray for all those who are faithfully serving downstairs and for all those who serve throughout this week and for weeks in the past. We know, dear God, that they need your strength and your perspective. They need to be able to love the flock the way you want us to love the flock. We are grateful for all that you've done and what you are going to do. We come before you today and we open up just a few verses. And we know, God, that these verses, that these words are your words. We want to tremble at your word as you shared with us in Isaiah 66. We want to understand that this isn't, well, just a story or some words on a piece of paper. But this is you talking to us. Father, we want to tremble. We want to Hear well and respond quickly. We love you, Father, and dedicate these next few minutes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would, turn your flat screens or your Bibles to Philippians. We're in Philippians. We're only going to read three verses. If you don't have a Bible or whatever, there, is the wor- there are the words up on the screen behind me. Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 9. This is Paul writing. I pray 
that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. So many of you know who the Apostle Paul is. And and we in the church recognize that Paul's getting older. Paul is in prison. We know all of those things, but, but we would probably put the title super missionary. A guy that loves God, loves the gospel, loves sharing the gospel. Well, he comes away pretty clearly in these first three verses. This isn't a long letter, remember. It's only four chapters long. And what he says is, I want to tell the Philippian church what really matters. And the first thing he says, or the first thing he models, maybe better to say, is that prayer matters. Paul prays. It's within the very beginning of this letter. And he stated to them, I pray. Now again, anybody who has walked with God for a while or anyone who has known the Lord Jesus, know that there are certain things that help you grow, that help you connect with God. Almost everybody recognizes that prayer and reading the word, listening to the word, are critical for anybody to be able to grow. Well, Paul not only knows this, but he practices it. Paul prays. He knows that it matters, so he exhorts the church to pray. (laughs) Not actually in this text. But in so many other places, and we're going to find out right in this letter, that he does in chapter 4. But we're going to wait till we get to chapter 4 to be able to hear what he says there. But prayer, although it's critical, although it's important, although every one of us say, yeah, that's what I need to do. Prayer is mysterious. If we think through this, um, why... Should I pray? I mean, God's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. What good are my words? You know, I I mean, I can pray for your will, God. But you're going to do your will? Why do I meet? Why do I waste my time? Why do I do? But all the way through the scriptures, in spite of how we feel at times, Prayer is critical. Let's look at some other places other than the book of Philippians where Paul writes about prayer. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16, 17, and 18. This is what Paul writes. Always be joyful. It's kind of one of his themes. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ. 
It is God's will for you and for me to never stop praying. Well, well Rick, what, what does that mean? Do I have to be in my knee? No. But it's this constant conversation with God. It's this constant involving God in your life. It's talking to God. Paul says, hey, it's so important. Never stop. This is critical. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul writes this. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And again, this isn't complicated, but Paul just says, devote. Make this a priority. And when you pray, pray with alert mind and a thankful heart. Devote. And, and you can ask yourself this question. I, I don't know. I don't live with you. I'm not in your mind. But if you were to devote yourself to your wife, I'm assuming that you'd be faithful. I'm assuming that you'd want to hear her. You'd like to spend time with her. That it would be a priority. Or you'd devote yourself to your job. Or you'd devote yourself to, I don't know, you put it in there. But all of a sudden it rises in passion. Paul just says, Prayer should be something that each one of us are devoted to. And and again, not even trying to shake the bushes here, but so many of us pray before meals. Many of us pray when when we're um, (laughs) in crisis. But is it a daily? Is it an hourly devotion? Devoting. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Paul writes this, rejoice in our confident hope. Who is Jesus? Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Keep on praying. The scriptures are filled with examples. Moses, who all the way through, as he especially walking through the wilderness with the Israelites, praying, talking to God, spending 40 days twice up on Mount Sinai, talking, listening. We know of Daniel. And what's so interesting is Jesus. Jesus. At least two times in the gospel, in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, and in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it's so interesting that Jesus, the Son of God, He had to take time to talk to his father. I suppose if we look at him as just as divine Jesus, you know, he wouldn't have to do any of that. But but he was the man, the God man. And he not only showed us how to stay connected with God, but he modeled for us. And there were times where literally Jesus said, I have to go away, I have to Talk to you, Dad, all night long. Again, the question is, we get a little tired after 15 minutes of prayer sometimes, right? Maybe an hour of prayer. Whoa. Maybe... And all I'm saying is, there are principles, and there are models, and there are... 
is a critical thing for us as believers to pray. Prayer is one of the church's privileges and priorities. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we get a little bit of an idea of actually defines what the church is. And the early church met together to hear the apostles' teaching from the Word of God, to be able to enjoy koinonia or fellowship, to be able to break bread together or eat meals, even worship, have the Lord's Supper, and to pray. It's one of the priorities from the very, very, very beginning. And this is 10 years out. Paul is incarcerated, but Paul is still praying. Let me just give you a practical one. Now, maybe Paul didn't do this, and maybe Paul's mind was sharp. But I know this. As I continue to get older, I need help. And one of the things that have always been good are what I would call prayer lists. Oh, Rick, I I just... No, no, really. And when you first start off, you, you have these prayer lists, and you just put down everything you'd like to pray about, but after a while, that list can get to be 100 or 200 or 500 or 600 things, because you've been around a while. Maybe you've even been a few churches, and you have different kinds of relationships. Well, if you sit down, it would take almost two, three, six hours to pray through that list. I encourage you to break the list up. Maybe a different day you pray for different things, so you divide it up in one-seventh. Or, or if your list gets so extremely long, you divide it up in 30. And every day, again, you have certain things that you can focus on. That's what we try to do even in our prayer gatherings. We give you a list. Not that it has to just go through rotely. But to remind us, hey, these are the things you can spend time talking to God about because this is important. I did just mention Tuesday. Tuesday at 7, we meet for an hour corporately to pray. We do that affirming its priority for us and displaying our obedience and our faith. I not only invite you I encourage you to make this a priority, to come on out and pray. Second thing that brings, (laughs) second thing that matters, at, at least the apostle right here, is that bringing God glory and praise matters. Now, now let's look at this. Paul's desire that this church that the church and that our church brings God glory and praise. If you read these verses, who wouldn't want the Philippian church's reputation? As a pastor, I'd say, yes, this is what I would like. Well, Paul says, these folks are loving well, and they are growing in their knowledge and understanding of God. These are good things. These are awesome things. But Paul prays that their love will overflow more and more, and that they would continue to grow 
in their knowledge of God and spiritual insight. It is not that Paul is never satisfied. He just knows growth is critical for every believer, especially in the areas that he's going to address. Which comes back to asking yourself a question. As I read it, as you read it, how am I growing? Now, now some are really disciplined, and some are able to, to get in the Word, and some are able to understand and be inspired and convicted all by themselves, but not many. Most of the time, this happens because we have relationships. Maybe it's in the same household, or maybe it's in a group, but it's an opportunity for you to be able to grow, to change, to question. I'm not sure if you've ever noticed, but if you've read through the scriptures, especially Paul's letters, you're going to find out that Paul almost prays in the very beginning of every one of his letters. Now, these prayers often give us a hint of what he's going to address and develop the rest of his letter. So although this is more of a shotgun type of a thing, Paul is going to come back and talk about these things over and over and over. So let's read and try to understand what brings God's glory and praise. It says this, I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. In this text, love has no object. There's no definition here. Paul isn't saying, I pray that your love for God will grow. Paul isn't saying that your love for others will grow. Paul didn't say your love for biking should grow. But in the context, he's referring to both God and others. Loving God means obeying God. Not because you have to, but because you want to. And we're going to talk more on this in the day or, or in the Sundays to come. But we had just spent time in 1 John where another apostle focused so much on loving others. You see, Paul is praying that their love would grow and that their love for others would grow, which means giving up your life for both the unredeemed and the redeemed. In fact, this sounds a little bit more like the great commandment that Jesus responded to in Matthew 22. He was asked the question, Jesus, Jesus, what's what's the greatest? What's the most important teaching? Jesus, can you just sum it up for me? And in Matthew 22, starting at verse 37, Jesus spit out quickly. He replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
So I think what Paul was doing here is praying. May love for God and others overflow more and more. Naturally overflow more and more as your intimacy grows. And this is what we're going to look at just a little bit. How does that happen? How does my love for God and even love for others grow? I want to love God more. I want to listen better. I want to represent him quicker. But the next part, I pray that you grow in your knowledge of God. Basically, I think Paul is saying, I'm praying that you know God better. You see, spending time with God changes a casual, convenient love to an extravagant love. Understanding who God is, recognizing how much he loves you, opening up the word and learning about him and learning how to please him. Well, it changes your priority when you spend time with God. Things that used to be more important to you shift over to things that you are more important to him. You see, spending time with God changes your faith because all of a sudden you're learning who God is and how much he cares. And realistically, you begin to trust him more even when circumstances really aren't so good. When the world looks rather filled with chaos, God, but as you spend time with him, you realize that all things are under his control and he works perfectly in his timing. It it changes your obedience. Instead of looking at this as a rule book, oh, this is your loving father designing what the best plan of action is for you and for me. You see, obedience changes from I have to do this or I'm going to get whacked by God to I have to do this because I love my Lord. I know he knows what's best. I want to please him. Oh, God, that's so different than doing it because you have to. You see, spending time with God changes your spiritual insight and discernment. He he actually says, I pray that you will grow in spiritual insight or discernment, wisdom in what advances the kingdom and what derails it. God, help me understand. Give me discernment. And then Paul prays. It's, it's a very interesting term. Paul prays that the church would always be filled with the fruit of their salvation. The fruit of their salvation. Now, now let me just remind you, fruit identifies the tree, or in this case, the person. People can identify you as a child of God because of the way you live. People can see the righteous character that Jesus himself is producing in you while living your normal lives 
which then give God glory and honor and praise. Fruit means living pure and blameless lives until God calls you home or Jesus returns. Wow. If we understand this, Paul really seems to be praying quite lofty here. How does this happen? How do I live like that? I've tried. I've failed. I don't seem to be progressing very well. Well, let's look at our salvation first and then the fruit of our salvation. You see, God sent Jesus to die on a cross so that he could graciously save everyone who repents and comes to him by faith. Jesus paid our debt and satisfied God's wrath so that our relationship with God would begin. We are new creations then, having the freedom to serve a new master, to make life count. This new relationship with Christ breaks the bondage we had with the enemy and removes the shackles. This is so good. Do you understand what God did? And maybe some of you did so long ago. But recognize all that God did so that he could have a relationship with you and me. So that we could be connected. And we could, well, make life count. Paul loves telling and writing about this great salvation. About God's mercy and grace which convicts and inspires me. Isn't it true there's things in our life that we just kind of take for granted? That we just automatically assume food's going to be on the plate every meal. That you're always going to have health. That you're always going... And when that happens for a while, we forget how unbelievably fortunate we are, and how the majority of the world does not have this. Now, I know every one of us go through tough times. I do. But it's the same way as we walk with Jesus. Sometimes way back when we were six or seven years old, maybe our wanna leader led us to Jesus. We took Christ as Savior by faith, but we may have left it there, or at least somewhat there. We probably haven't thanked God for his grace and his mercy. We probably haven't looked and been so excited about all that he has done, the relationship that we now have, and, and how technically I deserve to be consumed because says, no, no. I love you. You're my son. I've empowered you. I've gifted you. I've given you opportunity to make a difference. Let's partner together. Share with others this good news, this life transformation, the opportunity that when Jesus comes into a life, there's purpose, there's meaning. <laughs> Rick, don't get tired of that. Don't get tired of all I've done. Don't ever think that this is casual. Do you realize who your dad is? is that's Paul 
There are three aspects or facets of our great salvation. And if you've been at this church, we talk about the three aspects of salvation or the three facets of salvation often. So many people, though, just focus on the past aspect of salvation, the one we are sa- where we are saved from the penalty of sin, and we call that justification, and that is awesome. But there is much more. The present aspect of salvation is freedom from the power of sin. And it's critical for every child of God to understand. And we call this sanctification. Lastly, our robust salvation also includes a future aspect. Salvation from the presence of sin. We call this glorification. So you see, it's pretty awesome that we don't have to pay the penalty for God's sin, for our sin. And God has done that. It's unbelievable that we don't have to live under sin's authority because every time we rebel, every time that that we go our own way and we sin, we not only break God's heart, but it destroys us and it brings death. And how cool, someday, none of us can even imagine this, a life without the presence of sin? Shall we say eternity? There's no more tears. There's no more pain. There's no more fear. (laughs) It's pretty amazing. But right here, Paul is focusing on sanctification or the second aspect of salvation. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. And you can turn there. And I'm going to start reading in verse 28, a really, really well-known verse, and go into verse 29. Let me just remind you, the first 12 chapters of Romans are foundational. They're critical, I think, for every believer to understand. It helps us understand who we are, what sin is, and how God operates. Let's read, though, Romans 8, 28. I I think this will be so clear for you. And we know that God causes everything, in my Bible, underline everything, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Our sovereign God, who is in complete control of everything, causes all things. You got to even stop right there. Causes all things. Things And I don't know what things are in your life right now. I don't know what you've had to walk through. I don't know what you're anticipating. But Paul writes very clearly and under conviction. Our sovereign God causes all things to work together for his kids' good. So what you, what I am walking through right now, God says, this is good for you, Rick. 
And so there are times I look back up and go and say, you know, God, I, I don't know if that's good. Like, oh, can we talk about this? Are you serious? How long? Why? <laughs> Paul says, God is powerful. He says, everything that happens in your life is for your good if you're one of God's kids. It will benefit you. Do you realize how your life would change if you believed this? You just stop. If you believe this, if you knew God, he was faithful to you, you've walked with him especially a long time, do you realize what God is saying? Now, here comes the really good part. That, that was good. That, that, that was awesome. But verse 29, God also says he chooses, because God can, to have all of his kids become like his son, Jesus. You've heard me say it over and over and over again. He's chipping away. We are hunks of marble. We don't look like Jesus very much. And as we listen, as we're obedient, chip, 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 chip. Oh, it's looking a little more like Jesus. A little more like Jesus. A little more like Jesus. God's plan is that every one of us, as we listen and obey him, will think and act and represent God. We will look more like Jesus. Now, that's a little intimidating, but it's also pretty exciting. Jesus was the firstborn, the first among his brothers and sisters to reflect God well. That's why we spend so much time in the Gospels. That's why we look at the life of Jesus. Because he inspires us. He encourages us. This man depended on his father. He knew when to talk. He knew when to get angry. He knew when to love. He knew all those things because he was in sync with his dad. He didn't speak anything. That his dad didn't want him to speak. He said, well, that's, <laughs> he's the son of God. True. But he did that as a man. Depended wholly upon his father for all of his actions. Wow. God, or Jesus did this perfectly. We don't. But we can reflect him well, and when we do, this brings God glory. God is producing the righteous character in us. We saw that in Philippians. You see, we can't become like Jesus through behavior modification. We must stay connected to the vine because fruit happens. So many of you are familiar with some of Jesus' last words in John chapter 15 when he had his disciples gathered around him. He's talking to them, giving them some last-minute advice. And he says this, John 15 verse 5. He said, yes, I am the vine. Jesus is saying it. 
You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them, well, might produce fruit. No. You remain in me, you're going to produce fruit. That's your job. Your job is to stay connected. Your job is to spend time with Jesus. Your job, my job, is to confess sin quickly and promptly is to repent so that we stay connected to the vine. This is God's plan, which requires us, if we are going to bring him glory, if we are going to reflect him well, we need to stay connected to the vine. Now, this is so cool. This is so cool. If you would, turn to Galatians, or again, you can, you can look up on the screen. But Paul, his ministry philosophy is found in Galatians chapter 5. Now, I think many of you women are going to relate to this, um, uh, I guess, picture better than some of us guys. But, but let me read Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, and Paul, to just put it in the context, is writing this after he is sharing with them some ministry challenges. He's working with this church. He wants this church to grow and depend upon God. And this is what he says, pouring out his heart, oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. We gloss over this verse, so much of us. Do do you realize what Paul was saying? He's saying in the ministry, as I work with you, as I direct you, as I teach you, as I encourage you, it's going to feel like I'm going through labor pains. Now again, I've never done that. Some of you have. But I know this, even as I experience through my wife, or even as I hear stories of this, you don't want to be in labor too long. You don't. But Paul paints this picture. I just want you to know, I'm going through intense pain over and over and over and over and over again. But there's going to be joy because you are going to be more fully developed and you are going to look more like Jesus. Oh, what exciting verse for those in ministry. But to, again, just remind us, this is the goal. The goal is to look like Jesus. It is. Now, what I did in my Bible is draw a long line over to chapter 5, verse 22. Okay? is a great picture. But, but what happens here is that I ask the question, well, what does Jesus being fully and developed in my life look like? Well, it looks like the fruit of the Spirit. When you walk with God... He changes you from the inside out. He's fully developing Jesus in you. And what Paul said in verse 22 of chapter 5, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And the truth is, none of us act this way without Jesus. None of us. 
But that's what God is doing. God is fully developing you and me. So we represent, we reflect, we mirror Jesus to all those around us. You see, your fruit tells everyone if you are connected to the vine. If you go up just a little bit earlier in chapter 5, in verse 19, which we're not going to read, it lists, shall we say, character qualities of those that don't walk with God, are not connected with God, and they do not reflect the Lord Jesus. I'm going to wrap up here. You've listened so well. But this is Paul pouring his heart out. Prayer and bringing glory to God matters. So because you walk with the king, or if you don't, I want to encourage you to walk with the king, pray and live pure and blameless lives, and God will be glorified. He'll be pleased. He'll be magnified. People will be drawn to this amazing God. People will want to follow this God. People will want to talk about how wonderful this God's grace and mercy is. I'm going to do something really different this week. I'm going to ask all of you to bow your heads and shut your eyes. And what I would normally do is pray, and I'm going to pray at this moment, but I'm going to ask you to do something differently. I'm going to ask anyone, and no one's looking around, but I'm going to ask anyone, anyone who has been convicted or inspired this morning. Maybe there's some things you need to do differently. Maybe there's some areas that need to change. Maybe you've been reminded of what your calling is. Maybe there's something that God is doing. I'm going to ask you to stand up. If God has convicted you, if God has inspired you this morning from his word, I would like you to stand up right now because I want to especially pray for you. I'm not going to wait long. Nobody else is looking. But if God is working in your heart, if God is talking to you, I'd like you to stand up. Stand up. And I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. Thank you. Father, we come before you and we recognize that your spirit is moving. We thank you, Lord, for reminding us, for convicting us, for inspiring us. God, we do want to come to you, well, more consistently. We want to talk to you. We want to hear your voice. We want to respond. 
And God, we have been reminded today that you're doing something in us. You're doing something in every believer. You're changing us from the inside out. I pray especially for these folks who are standing. I thank you that God is working in their hearts. I thank you, dear God, that you're talking to them. Give them strength. Protect them. Help them listen to you. May they respond quicker this week. And even this week, God, would others notice they are reflecting you better. You can sit down now. Father, for all of us, we come before you and just say thank you. Your grace and your mercy overwhelms us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.